You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Okay, so today's reading is from Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Hold on, that's not the one I wanted. That's the wrong version. The problem is that I have 44 tabs open, so bear with me. (laughs) Okay, this is the one I wanted. So it's uh, robbing God. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O Jacob... O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into my storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field will not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fellowship that we have in this congregation. I thank you for each of the uh, people here today and for our relationship together. Um, I pray that you would bless Andrew today in his word and just bring us all comfort, Lord, knowing that you go before us. Um, and that everything that we have is because of you, and I pray that we won't idolize these things. Uh, Please uh, just be with us all today. Amen. Thank you, Darcy. Good morning to all of you. Um, I want to start with a question just to get sort of the juices flowing for us. I'm wondering if you can think of a time where God brought you to the very brink of having enough, or at least having enough to live the lifestyle that you're used to, right? Because some of us have different tolerances uh, relative to that. But can you think of a time when God brought you to the edge of you feeling at least like you you have enough? I, I can think of a own, my own personal testimony regarding this uh, as it relates to us coming to Turlock. So in December of 2013, uh, we were called to Enclave and we were making our way to, to Turlock. And Enclave was in a financial position to not be able to help us with that move at all. Um, and that's not surprising for some of you. Um, but it was a very expensive move, right? And then there was these you know, unforeseen financial challenges that were, you know, went along with that. And so by the time that we got here, um, we like ran out of money, right? And, and so I remember in, on Christmas of 2013, we're, we're calling the bank's automated system. You ever done that? And, and we got to hear the automated voice say back to us, checking, zero dollars, <laughs> savings, zero dollars, right? And so that, you know, Merry Christmas um, on 2013. 
Um, and I remember thinking, you know, if you know the story of how we got here, there's like all these miraculous things that happened to cause us to be able to come, right? And so it's like, I'm pretty sure, God, you wanted us to come, right? And that seemed pretty evident to me. And we're here, and uh, like, how, like, how's this supposed to work? So I was about a month away from my first paycheck, zero dollars, right? Like, how is that supposed to work, right? Uh, you know, are you going to take care of us, right? And so uh, I'm going to come back to that story in a little bit, but the point that I want to make now is that in those times where you feel like you lack the resources that you need, it can be pretty difficult to really believe. I mean, maybe on a theological test you can say that you believe, but to believe in your heart, you know, no, God loves me, and God is going to take care of me. And it's easy to let the doubts about God's love sort of creep into your heart and into your in, into your mind. And if that doubt begins to take root, then it's going to change the way you manage your resources, right? And so, and that's part of what we're going to be talking about today, God and provision. Now, I want to acknowledge something here, like right up front, is that today the topic that we're going to be talking about is probably like the least popular topic to talk about at a local church, only after the topics we've already talked about in Malachi, right, you know? And it's like Malachi just keeps going like, hey, preach on this. Hey, preach on this. Okay, all right. You know, because we're in Malachi, and, and we've been saying that Malachi was written to Israelites who had come out of captivity in Babylon and who have come into Jerusalem and have rebuilt the temple, but they have also begun to believe some wrong ideas about God. And so Malachi, we've been saying, is written to sort of address those wrong ideas that they began to have about God in a series of six disputes, God going back and forth with the people of God. So as we've been saying, right, the first wrong idea about God that they had was what? Does God love us? Does God even love us anymore, right? And so that was addressed in the first dispute, right, that wrong idea about God. And, and what we've kind of noticed along the way is that there is a lot that is built on that first dispute, right? So the second wrong idea about God that is uh, going on in the minds of the children of Israel is they began to wonder, is he worth honoring? Right? So you can think about how that relates to the first dispute. If he doesn't love us, I mean, is he really worth honoring with our sacrifices, with our marriages, right? And so... He addresses that in the second and third dispute. But then last week we talked about a third wrong idea about God that the children of Israel had, where they asked, is God just? Right, Because he seems to just let a lot of things happen. Is he just? Right, And then he addressed that last week in the fourth dispute. So now we're at the fifth dispute. And there's, just so you know, there's kind of, there's a little bit of leaking into the fifth dispute from the fourth dispute. And I think you'll see how that kind of goes together. But, but the wrong idea about God that's being addressed today is whether or not God will provide for us. Will God provide for us? Now, now that is kind of a little bit below the surface in this fifth dispute. But if you acknowledge it, 
that idea that that's kind of going on in the hearts and minds of the people, that sort of like clicks everything into place and makes things sort of make sense. So this wrong idea is sort of quietly running in the background. And you can see how that relates to the first dispute, right? If, if they don't believe that God loves them or they're questioning that, you better believe they're going to question whether God provides uh, uh, for them. Now, when you look in passages that are happening uh, at the same time as what's going on in, in Malachi, places like Nehemiah chapter 5, or Haggai chapter 1, Haggai chapter 2, and even just clues in Malachi 3 itself, you begin to learn that the people who are receiving this message, the first readers of Malachi, were in a famine at the time. So there were, their crops were being eaten up by pests, there, weren't any, uh, there wasn't any rain, and so they're, they're experiencing deprivation, right? right? God had brought them to the point where they were wondering, hey, are we going to even have enough, right? And so they were in that same spot. You can imagine them saying to themselves, well, God, like, think about how you brought us here. Like, you raised up a whole empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. You raised up Cyrus. You defeated the Babylonian Empire. You brought us all the way back to Jerusalem. You provided what we needed to rebuild the temple. And now we're going through this famine? Like, you did all this. Like, are you going to continue to take care of us? So they were in the same spot that Sarah and I were in December 2013, and where we sometimes, I mean, have you guys been to the gas station lately? <laughs> or like, what the heck is going on in the grocery store? I, I, I think I saw like a box of cereal for $7. Like, I mean, I feel like, I remember our, my grandparents saying like, I remember when that, co-. I feel like I'm saying those kinds of things now. I was like, $7? That makes no sense to me. But anyway, so it's like you still kind of, sometimes we feel like the squeeze of that. Like the squeeze of, of like, man, are we going to have it up? So today we're going to talk about God and provision, and and I want to ask two questions um, and try to answer uh, uh, two questions with regard to God and provision. The first question is, why do we sometimes lack the resources that we at least feel that we need? Why do we sometimes lack? And the second question is, will God provide? So let's look at the first question first. Why do we sometimes lack? So we've already said that Israel coming back into Jerusalem has been experiencing some some difficulties, right? Pests are eating their crops, rain isn't falling, there's crop failure, and so there's famine in the land. And so the question began to rise up in their minds, okay, if God is loving, right? Think of the first dispute. If God is just, think of the, the fourth dispute, how come we, how come we're the ones as the people of God, the covenant people of God, who are experiencing all this lack when we look around at the surrounding nations and they seem to not be doing all that bad, right? Like if they are checking the social media accounts of the Philistines, for example, like they're taking selfies at the beach, right? Moabites are taking selfies of going down and they're like marvelous hikes in the hills of Moab, right? At least that's what they're posting, okay? At least that's what they're posting. And you're beginning to wonder, like, well, how come we don't experience what these other nations are experiencing? Is is God really faithful to us? Will he provide for us 
He says he's in covenant with us, but will he be faithful to that covenant? That, that's kind of like the question that is arising in their mind. And our passage kind of answers that in two ways. Why are we experiencing lack? Is it because God is unfaithful? The first answer that this passage gives us is no, it's not because God is unfaithful. So again, in verse 6, it says, For I, the Lord, all caps, so we're talking about Yahweh, for the covenant name of God, right? For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. So he says, look, I'm the same God who declared himself to be the I am in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. I am the covenant God of Israel. I continue to have covenant love for you. I am the God of justice. I have not changed. This famine has not changed who I am. I'm still God. And I am a faithful God. I am faithful to your forefathers, and I keep my promise to them. And by the way, that's, not, that's why you're not completely destroyed. Even if your history is one of disobedience for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you're not destroyed because I'm faithful, I'm the faithful covenant God. That, that's like the first answer. So in a way, they're asking the wrong question, right? right? The real question isn't, why do we have less than the wicked surrounding na nations? The real question is, how are we still around when we have been unfaithful to our husband Yahweh for this long? Like that, that's like the real question. But the answer to the question that is being posed today why are we experiencing lack is that they are under a covenant curse because of their unfaithfulness. So he picking it back up in verse 8. It says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Verse 9. You are cursed with the curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So in other words, they were experiencing what they were experiencing, not because God was unfaithful, but because they were unfaithful. And they were robbing God. They were robbing God of tithes and offerings. So what does that mean? So in the Mosaic Covenant, God asked Israel to provide food and compensation to the priests so we're talking about the Aaronic priesthood and also the Levites through what they got from the land through these tithes and offerings. So the priests and the Levites, if you remember back in the Pentateuch, do they own land? No, they don't own any land. So what God, because they're set apart for the service of the temple. So the tithes and the offerings are for like the temple staff, basically is what that's for. So they don't own any land. So one-tenth of what the land that he gave them produced was meant to go to, to them to be able to provide for them and, and for their families. So things like grain, fruit, animals, things like this. Now, in addition to this, there was a tithe that was given to others who don't own land. 
such as foreign refugees, widows, orphans. So in other words, God looked at the situation in Israel and said, okay, if you don't have a natural way of providing for yourself, then I am going to gather what the land I give to you through the land. You're going to collect it and give it to those who don't have land. You see how that works? Now, in addition to that, there were contributions so that a portion of the offerings that they brought to the temple could be used and or eaten by the priests and the Levites. So in other words, like when they had the burnt offerings and they had to take off the hide of the burnt offerings, they could sell that and that would be part of their compensation. Or they could eat part of the grain offerings or part of the meat of the other offerings. And this was part of the way in which the, the priests and, and the Levites were taken care of under this uh, the system. So if you want to learn more about that, you can look in Leviticus chapter 27 at the very end of that chapter, or in Numbers 18, or in Deuteronomy chapter 14. All these are listed in your half sheet in your, in your bulletin. But then Paul, he takes that idea of the tithes and the offerings, and then he applies it to gospel ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 through 14. But the point of it is this. The tithes and the offerings for Israel, what they were meant to accomplish, it was a way for them to acknowledge, hey, look, everything I have comes from God and belongs to God. And it was a way to show, look, I trust God to provide for me. Like, because everything I have comes from God, belongs to God, I can give some of it back because I can trust him to provide more for me. I can continue trusting him to provide for my needs. And so when Israel didn't do this, even though Yahweh commanded it, right, it might have seemed justified in their mind, right, and, and I can relate to this, right, like it might have seemed justified in their mind because they're in a famine, right? But what was actually happening, it was revealing their hearts regarding whether or not they would trust in God. And Yahweh's response to this is basically to say, look, the famine is not the cause of your neglect. Your neglect is the cause of the famine. And I don't know how shocked, because, the see, this is about the heart, right? The tithes and the offerings are just like revealing different things about the heart, right? And he is God is interested in working on their hearts. And he, he'll use all kinds of things. He'll use famines, he'll use pests. He'll use, he's open to all kinds of things to work on people's hearts. Right? He says it this way in verse 9, regarding this, like, no, it's the cursed result of your neglect. You are cursed with a curse for or because you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So this curse that we're talking about is, is a, the, belongs in the category of the curses of the Mosaic Covenant. So we've said before that Yahweh established a relationship with Israel by doing what? He brought them out of Egypt. That's the basis of their relationship. Nothing that Israel brought to the table, God rescued them out of Egypt. That's the basis of their relationship. So the basis of their relationship is God's 
rescue and grace. Nothing to do with them whatsoever. But then he kind of gave them sort of like, um, hey, this is how our relationship works, right? Through these blessings and cursings of the old covenant, of the Mosaic covenant that you could read about in Leviticus, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. And in those chapters, what you read is, look, when you are faithful to Yahweh as king and husband, you will experience blessing in the land. Like it's real tangible for them because God is teaching certain things during this time. He's like, okay, when you're faithful to me, you don't go after idols. You will experience blessing in the land, which is supposed to be like a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And God's making all these pictures happen, right? Now he says, but if you're not faithful to me as king and husband and you are adulterous and idolatrous, you chase after the gods of the surrounding nations, then you will experience curses in the land, which in the end result in actually being kicked out of the land. What does that sound like? Sounds like when Adam and Eve were kicked out of Eden, the promised land. You see all the pictures that are, that are happening? And so part of the curses that they experience, like at the beginning of Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28, before that exile happens are things like crop-eating pests, no rain, drought, crop failure, famine. So we read verses like this in Leviticus chapter 26, beginning in verse 19. So he's talking to people. He says, look, if you are not faithful to me, Yahweh, your husband, this is what happens. Verse 19, Leviticus chapter 26, I will break the pride of your power. Oh, it's actually, so it's actually like a pride problem. And I will make your heavens like iron. Does rain flow through iron? No. And your earth like bronze. You ever see anybody like have crops grow out of bronze? No. And your strength shall be spent in vain. Your land shall not yield its increase. And the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. So no rain. Crop failure. Then what about Deuteronomy 28, 38? You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. Pests, right? So now the whole design of this, it's actually less about punishment and more about shaping their hearts, right? It's causing them to pay attention right? Remember, the Spirit of God's not living inside of them. So he's working with them where they are at, right? And, and the, the progress of, relation, of revelation happens, it, there's a progress to it. He's, he's meeting them where they're at, and he's like, okay, this is, this is something that you will understand. Like, no crops, crops, that's something you will understand. Gets their attention, they're like, oh, nothing's working, you know? And then they, and it's return back to me, right? It's a way of of moving in them so that they turn back to faithfulness to their husband, Yahweh. So when we ask the question, why do we sometimes experience lack? Sometimes God allows his people to experience deprivation to get their attention to bring them back to him, right? And it kind of like allows us to see two things. It allows us to see our own heart, 
and it allows us to see God's heart, right? When you experience deprivation or lack, right, then you get a window into your heart to see, will I turn to God or will I take matters into my own hands, right? And you really can't know that. Like, you know, when you ever have that question, it's like, well, if somebody put a gun to your head, would you, you know, you can't know and experientially know until it happens, right? And then when it happens, then you know where your heart is at. Now, it's not necessarily meant to be like, like, oh, your heart is in a wrong place. You should feel guilty. That's not the point. It's to be like, oop, I'm sicker than I realized. I need to go to the doctor, the heart doctor, who is God. Right? And so when you, when you turn to God, then you get a window into God's heart, right? Where he provides for you, right? You turn to him and then he provides for you and it's a window into his heart. And what he was doing with the children of Israel and what he's often doing with us, right, is he's teaching us to know him experientially as Lord and Savior. And they're sort of like, this rhythm to it. There's like he brings deprivation and then he provides. Deprivation and then he provides. Right? And then we know tangibly that he is Lord and Savior. And I can testify to being in, I'm, I'm in this cycle, right? You know, I, am, I feel like I'm constantly in this cycle. And that's what was happening when we first came to Turlock, December 2013. God brought us in a season of deprivation, right? And then, you know, we probably tried to, like, make it work on our own for a little while. Nothing worked because God loves us too much for that, right? By the way, he lets the Philistines go on their beach trips and the Moabites go because they're not his children. He's, worried, he's disciplining his children now, right? But for me, he's not going to let me do that, <laughs> you know? He loves me too much. So he's like, oh, no, no, no. And then, and then I try to work, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out there, hoeing. I don't have a farm, but I'm hoeing and it's like, this is bronze, it's bronze, like nothing is working, right? And then until finally I'm like, oh, God, I, we can't do it, we cannot survive, right? And I'm in this desperate situation. How can you live a month on zero money? Like, it's not possible. I have a family of six, you know? And then, you know, this is a crazy, crazy thing that happened. Like, we're, we're crying out to God, December 2013. Wait, how in the world is this going to work? We get a knock on the door. This, this sounds like I'm making it up, you know? But I assure you I'm not. I get a knock on the door. It's at 9 o'clock at night. I'm new to Turlock. We're, we're so new to Turlock, we don't even know if we live in a good neighborhood or not. You know what I mean? And, like, and so, and anyway, I won't even go to that. But so it's nine o'clock at night, it's December, so it's dark. There's a man outside that we both have never seen before. We open the door, and it's the husband of a woman that Sarah met on a walk a couple of days prior. So just think about that. He's there, we don't know who it is, and he says, my wife and I were praying and God put it in our hearts to give you this. And then they, he gave me an envelope and it took care of all of the expenses until my first check. Now, 
Like, I didn't become rich that day. That's not the point. This is not TBN, right? Um, <laughs> but what, what God was saying, what God was saying, look, I'm, I'm going to provide for you what you need to fulfill my calling. And also, like, you, you think you need more than you actually need. But we're not going to even address that right now. We're not going to even address that right now. I, I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to provide for you what you need so that you can fulfill the calling that I put on your life. And he provided for us. That brings us to our second point. Can we trust God to provide? So I've already kind of tipped my hand. And by the way, you're at a Christian church, so you already know the answer to this. <clears throat> but this is what it goes on to say in, in the latter part of verse 7. Yahweh says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And then skipping down to verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Like bring crops to the temple, basically. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's a pretty big statement. So there, there are three Big invitations that Yahweh is making in this passage. He's saying, return to me, test me, and you will experience my blessing. Return to me. God, it's, it's hard, you know, depending on who your biological father is, depending on a lot of circumstances in your life, it, it might be hard for you to imagine God like this, but God is on the edge of his seat to receive your repentance. Even in the Mosaic Covenant, the blessings and the cursings are all meant to lead to repentance because he's trying to have them turn to him, be with him. Union is the goal, right? And so think about, okay, when does God, this is the last, this is the last book of the Old Testament. How long have the children of Israel been sinning against their husband, Yahweh. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And what does he say to them? Return to me, and I will return to you. And he says the same thing to us. Maybe you've been wandering from God. Maybe it's decades. I'm like, I can't. I can't go. No, no. He, God, he's like waiting at the gate, the prodigal son. He, see, he sees you come. You're like, okay, I'm going to tell him this. I'm going to tell him this. And then and you're, he's just running, right? Falling on your, oh, you're back, you know? It's like, man, we, we, don't, we don't really know. Like, you know, when somebody does bad things against me and they like, hey, I, I want to repent, I'll, oh, well, let's see. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, God's like, no, 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 come, 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 right? And he said, you return to me, I'll return to you. That, that, that's what he's saying to us. He says, he says, turn to me. He says, test me. Now, there is a type of test in the Bible that the God of the Bible is very against. Like when we test God relative to our, like our sin, he does not, he is not for that. So like when you say like, hey, I can keep sinning and there is nothing you can do about it. Well, okay, like watch out with that kind of a test. But God invites us to test him relative to obeying him, 
to see if he will not come good on his promises. In the New Testament, so like testing God to see if he will provide, right? If, if, if we test God in giving, it gives God an opportunity to show his love and his power. This is what it says in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Paul is talking about gifts that he's going to bring to a church that's poor. And he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Put a lot of seeds out, you're going to get more harvest in. That's like the basic idea, right? It doesn't always work like that, but it's just a basic uh, uh, principle. And you can see sort of like the parallels with this and also in the Old Testament passage. He actually goes on in the next verse that he's not talking about offering things out of compulsion or offering things out of proportion of, of what you have. God loves a cheerful giver, is, is what he says in the very next verse. Now, a couple of years ago, wow, this is also going to seem like I'm making it up. I <laughs> just let you know. Okay, so some of you who have been with Enclave for a long time, you know sort of like the financial history of Enclave, right? Like we were, like, let's say like this is baseline, this is like zero, like zero money in the bank. This is what we were like for a long time. Like there was like one time we went like this, and I for sure thought we were going to close. For sure thought we were going to close. But then, about three years ago now, Jay, I don't know, Okay, we, we decided, we prayed about it, and God put on our heart, I don't know if we said it in these terms, but to test God in this. And during a time of drought and famine financially for Enclave, the elder said, you know what? We haven't, we're not really tithing on what's coming in. Like we, we supported Brian Miller, but we weren't tithing on what was coming in. So we decided you know what, we're going to tithe and give to the missionaries that sent out of this church and, and for also other missionary activity beyond that, right? And which was like, like any financial advisor looking at our books would say, that is stupid. You're not making budget. That is not wise, right? But God put it on our heart. Three years ago. Do you know that I'm from that moment till today, we have never come close to zero ever again? Now, here's we're not watching TBN, right? Right? I'm not saying that God is obligated to us, right? If God wants to close Enclave, let me tell you, He can close Enclave, right? And we believe that. But it's like, no, but, but God invited us to test him in that kind of way during a drought, during a, a famine. And so he says, turn to me, test me, and experience my blessing. Now, just as counterintuitive it was for us to do that during a financial drought, think about the children of Israel. Like, we can sympathize with them, right? Like, like their crops are not growing, like, why would they bring tithes and offerings into the temple when their crops aren't growing, right? And remember, in proportion to what you have, he's not asking them to give what they don't have. Like, don't, don't think about it that way. In proportion to what they have, 
God was calling them to give and to trust them. And the reason why he invites them to do this is not because he's some cruel TV preacher, but because he knows that that will show a true repentance happening inside of their heart, and then they will give him the opportunity to show his saving power. Because although God is not like some cosmic slot machine in the sky or anything like that, like we're not talking about sorcery, right? What did we talk about last week in verse 5 of chapter 3? He says he is coming in fiery judgment against sorcerers, right? Those who try to manipulate God, right? Those who try to use God as a means to an end to make their life go right. God says he's coming in fiery judgment about that. So we're not talking about that. But what God loves to do is to show that he has the power to reverse the fall. So if their disobedience or reverse the curse, I'm getting ahead of myself, they reverse the curse. So if our disobedience produces drought, right, in accordance with the Davidic covenant, then guess what? When we turn to him, he can bring rain. He's that powerful, right? So that's why he says, you know, test me. See if, quote, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, right? And that's an echo of, we're not talking about helicopters and jets, we're talking about need, right? And that's an echo of what he already said in the blessing passages of the Mosaic Covenant in Deuteronomy 28, 12. He can bring rain, right, if they are faithful to him, right? He can reverse the curse of a pest, a devourer who comes and eats the crops. If that is the curse that comes as a result of disobedience, of not being faithful to your husband Yahweh, if you turn to him, he can reverse it. He's that powerful. That's why he says in verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field. And uh, vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. So Yahweh wants to show in a very tangible way, he wants to demonstrate that he is the Lord and the Savior, right? And this points to a much bigger picture, doesn't it? Doesn't it anticipate something, right? God in Jesus Christ is reversing the effects of the fall, the curse on humanity, because our first parents were unfaithful to Yahweh and took matters in their own hands, right? God is reversing the fall that has effects on all of creation, right? And to do it, he does it through a Messiah, right? So the first Adam disobeyed against God. They were unfaithful to Yahweh, king and husband. The second Adam, he comes as the perfectly obedient giver. Forget tithes and offerings. He gave his own life to honor God and for our salvation. He says in John 18, 10, 18, no one takes my life. I lay it down willingly. And when he goes to the cross, he takes all of our disobedience, all of the curses upon himself so that he can give us blessed salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's how we can answer the second question. Will God provide? Of course he will provide. He's already provided 
for our greatest need. Right? So Paul says it in this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is going to give us what we need to fulfill our calling. Right? Now, our calling doesn't last forever. We die, right? Like, well, guess he didn't provide life to that guy. No, that's not how that works, right? It's like, no, he provided for the rest of his calling here on earth. And guess what? There's eternity. Like, eternity is real, right? We, we kind of believe that. <laughs> like, I kind of believe that eternity is real, right? But it is real. So this little time on earth, is so minuscule, right? He, he will provide uh, what we need, and he is reversing the, the, the curse or, or the fall. He does it first through the resurrection of Jesus. Right? He's called the first fruits, right? But then that resurrection life comes inside of us, takes root in our heart, begins to change us from the inside out, and it, ke it keeps going like it, it cleans up your character. That's for sure. It changes who you are. It makes you like Jesus. That's for sure. But then it keeps going until he resurrects your body. And then he resurrects the whole world. <laughs> a new heavens and a new earth. The curse is completely lifted so that then in the future, Israel and the whole world, right, becomes God's garden temple where we dwell with God forever and there is no lack. And so that we know him, like why go through all this? Right, we had Eden first, right? We're going back to Eden, but it's not just Eden. It's better than Eden because how else are we going to know God as Lord and Savior, experientially. We will only know him as creator. God allowed the, God allowed the fall to happen. So we could know him as Lord and Savior. And do you know how great it is to know him as Lord and Savior? It, 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 man, God knows what he is doing. And so he, he puts a, see, and the reason why he doesn't just give us the treasures of earth first to sinful people, why do you think he does that? You think we handle that well? Heck no, right? We're constantly making those things into idols, right? So what he does instead, he's like, okay, we're not going to do it in that order. We have to start in the heart of the people first so that they can actually enjoy my good world with me, with me. And so God puts us in this process of teaching us how to know him as Lord and Savior through deprivation and then provision, deprivation and provision. And it teaches us to trust him. And see, maybe, now that's like easy for me to say right now from up here, right? But maybe some of you are in a time of deprivation. You're in a time of, of, of drought, and maybe, maybe you're trying to make it work on your own. But God is calling you and saying, return to me. And I will return to you.
It doesn't mean like all the circumstances are going to be made out to be the way you think they ought to be made out. But it will mean that he will come upon you strongly. Right? And this is, the, this is the testimony of people at Enclave right now who are experiencing pain. God is meeting them where they are Today, we celebrate the Lord's table. It's where God demonstrably proves that he can take the worst moment in history and make it the most significant and best moment in history on the cross. God is not somebody who looks afar off and says, oh, I'm using this suffering to help you. You know, no, he comes and suffers alongside, and he did so on the cross. And so as we take the bread, we remember his suffering, his body broken for us to make us one with God and one with each other. Let's take. Wow. Um, so the priests partook of a portion of the sacrifice, right? He has made us into a kingdom of priests. And these elements represent that sacrifice. And there's a sense in which God provides for our greatest need as the priests in Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, take and drink. Uh. Father, we're, we're, we're overwhelmed. In Jesus Christ, you have opened up the floodgates of blessing. And Lord, we, we are hard of hearing, close to blind, but Lord, we pray now that you would continue to open our eyes and open our ears to be able to experience more of the beauty of your son and his sacrifice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.